The Red Room by H. G. Wells. I can show you, said I. It would take a very tangible ghost to frighten me. I stood up before the fire with my glass in my hand. It is your choosing, said the man with the withered arm, and glanced at me askance. Eight and twenty years, said I, have I lived, never a ghost have I seen as yet. The old woman sat staring hard into the fire, her pale blue eyes wide open. Aye, she broke in, and eighteen, eight and twenty years you have lived, and never seen the likes of this house, I reckon. There's many things to see, and one still but eight and twenty. She swayed her head slowly from side to side, and many things to see and sorrow for. I half suspected that, suspected that old people were trying to enhance the spiritual terrors of their house by their droning insistence. I put down my empty glass on the table. I looked about the room. I caught a glimpse of myself, abbreviated and brought into my impossible sturdiness in a queer old mirror at the end of the room. Well, I said, if I see anything tonight, I shall be so much the wiser that I come to business with an open mind. It is your choosing, said the man with the withered arm once more. I heard the sound of a stick and a shimmering step on the flags in the passage outside. The door creaked on its hinges. The second man entered, more bent, more wrinkled, more aged, even than the first. He spotted himself by a single crutch, his eyes were covered by a shade. His lower lip, half averted, half pale and pink from his decaying yellow teeth, he made straight for an armchair on the opposite side of the table. Sat down clumsily and began to cough. Man with a withered arm gave this newcomer a short glance of positive, positive dislike. The young man took no notice of his rival, remained of her eyes fixed steadily on the fire. It is said it's your choosing, said the man with a withered arm when the coughing had ceased for a while. It is my choosing, I answered. Man was saved from aware of my presence for the first time. A man was shaved come aware of my presence for the first time, threw his head back for a moment and sideways to see me. I caught a momentary glimpse of his eyes. Small and bright and inflamed, then began to cough and sputter again. Why don't you drink, said the man with a withered arm, pushing the beer towards him. The man with the shade poured out a glassful, with shady hand and splashed half as much again on the deal table. A monstrous shadow of him crouched upon the wall and mocked his action as he poured and drank. I must confess, I had scarce suspected these grotesque Crestonians. There is, to my mind, something in human centrality, something crouching and aphatistic, and human qualities seem to drop from old people insensible day by day. Freedom made me feel uncomfortable. Their gaunt silences, their bent carriage, their evident unfriendliness to me and to one other. 
If, said I, you should show me to this haunted room of yours, I make myself comfortable here. The old man will cough, jerked his head back so suddenly that it startled me and shot another glances of his eyes at me under the table, sh- under the shade. But no one answered me. I waited a minute, glancing from one to the other. If, I said a little louder, if you show me to this haunted room of yours, I will leave you from your task of entertaining me. There's a candle on the slab outside the door, said the man with the withered arm. Looking in my feet, he dressed dressed me. But if you go to the red room tonight, a night of all nights, said the old woman, you go alone. Very well, answered. And which way do I go? You go along the passage a bit, he said, until you come to the door. Through that is a spiral staircase. Halfway up to, to that is a landing, another door covered with blaze. Go through that. Down the long corridor to the end. The red room is on your left up the steps. Have I got that right? I said. I repeated the directions. You corrected me when particular. particular. Are you really going? said the man with shade, looking at me again with the third, for the third time. That queer and natural tilting of the face. Night of all nights, said the old woman. It's what I came for, I said. I moved towards the door. As I did so, the old man with shade rose and staggered round the table, so as to be closer to the others, to the fire. The door, I turned and looked at them. Saw so they were all close together, dark against the firelight, staring at me over their shoulders, the intense expression of their, on their ancient faces. Good night, I said, setting the door open. It is your own choosing, said the man with the withered arm. I left the door wide open until the candle was well alight, well alight, and then I shut them in and walked down the chilly, echoing passage. I must confess that the oddness of these three old pensioners, whose charge of ladyship had left the castle, and deep-toned, old-fashioned furniture of the housekeeper's room in which they foregathered, affected me in spite of my efforts to keep myself up. At a matter of fact phase. It seemed to belong to another age, an older age, an age when things spiritual were different from those of our hours, less certain, an age when omens and witches were credible, a ghost beyond defying. His very existence of spectacle, the cut of their clothing. Fashions born in dead brains, the ornaments and conveyances of the room about them were ghostly, the faults of vanished men, which still haunted rather than precipitated in the world of today. But with effort, I sent them such faults to write about. Long drafty subterranean passage was chilly and dusty. A candle flared and made the shadows cower and quiver. The echoes rang up and down the spiral staircase. A shadow came sweeping up after me. One fled before me into the darkness overhead. I came to the landing and stopped there for a moment. It seemed to rustling, I fancy heard, and satisfied the absolute silence. I pushed open a blaze-covered door and stood in the corridor. The effect was scarcely... What I expected for the moonlight coming in by the great window, the great stair, grand staircase picked out everything in vivid black shadows, silvery illumination. 
Everything was in place. The house might have been deserted on the yesterday instead of 18 months ago. There was candles in the sockets of the cirrhosis. Whatever dust gathered on the carpets or upon the polished flooring was distributed so evenly as to be invisible in the moonlight. As about to advance, the sun stopped abruptly. A bronze group stood upon the sea landing, hidden from me by the corner of the wall. But his shadow fell with marvellous distinctness from the white panelling. I gave me the impression of someone crouching to waylay me. I stood up rigid for a minute, half a minute perhaps, and with my hand in my pocket, I held my revolver. I advanced only to discover a Ganymede, an eagle glistening in the moonlight. The incident of the time restored my nerves. Porcelain Chinaman on the blue table, whose house, whose head rocked silently, silently as I passed him, scarcely startled me. The door to the red room had, and the steps up to it were in a shadowy corner. I moved my candle from side to side in order to see clearly in the nature of the recesses in which I stood before opening the door. Here, here it was. Thought I and my predecessor has found the memory of the story given me a sudden twinge of apprehension. I glanced over my shoulder and grinned at me in the moonlight and opened the door of the red room rather hastily. I my face half turned to the bloody silence of the landing. I entered, closed the door behind me at once, turned the key, I found a lock within and stood with a candle held aloft, surveying the scene of my vigil, the great red room of Lorraine Castle, in which the young duke had died, or rather, in which he began his dying, for he had opened the door and fallen headlong down the steps I had just ascended. Then that had been the end of his vigil, his, vigil, his gallant attempt to conquer the ghostly tradition of the place. Never I fought the apoxophy better served their ends of superstition. There were other and older stories that clung to the room, back to the half-credible beginning of it all, of it all, the tale of a timid wife, the tragic end that came to her husband's chest for frightening, for frightening her, and looking around the large, sombre room, his shadowy window bays, his recesses alcoves, one corner, one could well understand the legends has sprouted in its dark and its black corners. A germinating blackness, darkness, germinating darkness. A candle was like, was a, was a little tongue of light of its vastness. I failed to pierce the opposition at the opposite end of the room, led an ocean of mystery and suggestion beyond its island of light. It's all to make a semantic examination of the place at once. Dispelled the fanciful suggestions of its obscurity before they obtained a hold upon me. I was satisfied myself with the fastening of the door. I began to walk about the room, peering round each skirtical furniture, tucking up the vague fallacies of the bed and opening its curtains wide. I pulled out the blinds and examined the fastings of several windows before closing the shutters. I went forward and looked up the blackness of the wide chimney and tapped the dark oak panelling for any secret opening. There are two big mirrors in the room. Each had a pair of circumstances bearing candles. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, 
where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission. At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And on the mantle shelf, two were more candles than China candlesticks. All these I lit after one after the other. Uh, files laid expected consideration for the old housekeeper. I lit it to keep down any disposition to shiver. And when I was burning well, I stood round with my back to it and regarded the room again. I pulled up my cheeks, covered armchair on a table to form a kind of barricade before me. I initially my revolver ready, ready to hand. I precise as animation had done me good. I still found a remoter darkness of the place. Its perfect stillness too stimulating for the imagination. The echoing of the stir, the crackling of the fire was no, was no sort of comfort to me. Shadowing the alcove at the end, in particular, had an indiscernible quality presence, an odd suggestion of lurking, living thing that comes so easily in silence and solitude. Last to assure myself, I walked with a candle into it, satisfied myself that there was nothing tangible there. I stood that candle upon the floor of the alcove and left it in that position. By this time, I was in a state considered for nervous tension. Though my reason was not adequate cause for the condition, and mine ever was clearly clear, I postulated quite unreservedly that nothing that supernatural could happen and pass the time. I began to stir some strings some rhymes together in a by fashion. The origin, original legend, or the original legend of place. Few I spoke aloud, but the echoes were not pleasant. Oh, time, reason, I also abandoned after time, conservation for myself, back to the possibility of ghosts and haunting. My inverted the three old and stalled people downstairs. I tried to keep upon that topic. The sombre reds and blacks of the room troubled me. Even the seven cows of the place was merely dim. A one cove flared in the draught, and a fly flickering. Kept the shadows of Palamara perpetually shifting and stirring. Casting about for a remedy, I called the candles and seen the passages. With a slight effort, walked out into the moonlight, carrying a candle, leaving the door open, and presently returned with as many as ten. There I put it in various knickknacks of china, for which the room was sparsely adorned, lit and placed the where the shadows lay deepest, some on the floor, some in the windows are assisted. So at last my seventeen candles were so arranged that not in each room, not but had a stretch of sunlight at least one of them. It occurred to me that when the ghost came, I would warn him not to trip over them. The room was quite brightly illuminated. There's something very cheery and reassuring in those little streaming flames and snuffing them. Gave me occupation and folded that full sense of passage of time. Even that, having a brooding expectation of vigil weighed heavily upon me, it was after midnight that candle in the alcove suddenly went out. Black shadows sprang back to its place. There, I did not see the candle go out. I simply turned and saw the darkness. 
as there one might start and see the unexpected presence of a stranger. By Jove, I said aloud. I draft a strong one, and taking the matches for the table, I walked across the room in a leisurely manner to really light the corner again. Our first match would not strike. I seated with a second. Something seemed to blink, to blink on the wall before me. I turned my head involuntarily. I saw the two candles on the little table. My face, fireplace, was extinguished. I rose at once to my feet. Odd, I said. Did I do it myself in a flash of absent witnesses? I walked back. We lit one, and as I did so, I saw the candle in the right signals. One of the mirrors wink could go out. Right, go right out. And almost immediately, a companion followed it. With no mistake about it, my vein vanished. Zither wicks had been suddenly nipped between the finger and the thumb, leaving the wick neither glowing nor smoking, but black. But I stood Christ stood gaping the candle of foot on the bed, went out, and shadows seemed to take every, another step towards me. That won't do, said I, and another first one. Then another candle meant as she followed. What's up, I cried with a queer high note, getting into my voice. Somehow, as at that, the candles of wardrobe went out, and one, and the one I had relit in a curl code followed. <clears throat> Steady on, I said. These candles are wanted, speaking with a half hysterical face, face and scratching way that matched well a mantle, mouth for the mantle candlesticks. My hands trembled so much that twice the Mr. Rough paper match the matchbox. The mantle emerged from the darkness again. Two candles, a motor at the end of the window, were eclipsed, but with the same match, I also lit the larger mirror candles and those on the floor down near the doorway, so that for a moment I seemed again gain on extinctions. But when then in a volley, I vanished four lights at once in different corners of the room. I struck another match in quivering haste and stood hesitating whether to take it. I stood undecided, an invisible hand seemed to sweep out the two candles on the table, but to cry of terror dashed to the alcove, then into the corner, and then into the window, relighting three or more, two, two more vanished by a fireplace, and perceiving a better way. I dropped the matches on the iron bound deed box in the corner and caught up the bedroom candlestick. This, this I avoided delaying striking matches, but not for all that steady process of extinction. Went on, the shadows of fear of fault against return and crept upon me. First, a gain, step gained on this side, I mean, then on, the, on that. It was like a ragged storm cloud sweeping out the window, stars. Now, and then one returned for a minute, and then I was lost again. I was almost, now almost frantic with horror, the coming darkness, my own self possession deserted me. I late painting a disheveled from candle to candle, a vain struggle against the remoteness of advance. I bruised myself in a fire against the table. I sent a chair headlong, stumbled and fell, whisked the cloth from the table may fall. A candle rolled away from me. I snatched another as I rose. Abruptly this was blown out. I swung it off of the table by the wind of my sudden movement. Immediately two remaining candles followed. But there was light still in the room, a red light that stayed off the wind shadows for me. The fire, armed, of course, 
I should tr- still trust my candle. I could still trust my candle behind the bars and relight it. I turned to where the flames were still dancing between glowing coals and splashing red reflections upon the furniture. They two steps towards the great and convenient continently the flames dwindled and vanished, and the glow vanished, reflections rushed together and vanished. As I thrust the candle between the bars, darkness closed upon me like a shutting of an eye wrapped about me in a stifling embrace, sealed my vision, crushed the last vintages of reason from my brain. The candle fell from my hand. I flung out my arms in vain. Effort thrust the ponderous blackness away from me. I lifted my voice, screamed with all my might, once, twice, thrice. Then I think I must have staggered to my feet. I know it felt suddenly of the moonlight corridor, and with my head bowed and my arms over my head, face, made a run for the door. But forgotten the exact position of the door, I stuck myself heavily against the corner of the bed. I staggered back, turned, and either struck or struck myself against some other bulky furniture. I had a vague memory of battering myself thus, to and fro in the darkness of cramped struggle of my own wild crying as I darted to and fro, heavy blow at last upon my forehead. Horrible sensation of falling and lasted an age of my own last frantic effort to keep my footing, and then I remember no more. I opened my eyes in daylight. My head was roughly bandaged. A man with a withered arm was watching my face. I looked about me, trying to remember what had happened, and, and as for the space I could not recollect. I rolled my eyes in the corner and saw the old woman, no longer distracted, pouring out some drops of medicine by a little foul, blue fowl in the glass. Where am I? I asked. I seem to remember you, yet I cannot remember who you are. You told me then, I heard of the haunted red room, and one hears a tale. You found you at dawn, said he. There was blood on your forehead and lips. It was very slowly overcome my memory, my spirits. You believe now, said the old man. The room is haunted. He spoke no longer as one who greets an intruder, but as one who grieves for a broken friend. Yes, said I, the room is haunted. And you have seen it? We have, we, we, we who've lived here for all, all our lives and never set far eyes upon it because we have never dared. Tell us, is it truly old ill? No, said I, it's not. I told you, said the old lady, of glass in our hand, it is his poor young countess who is frightened. It's not, they said. There is neither ghost of ill nor ghost of countess in the room. There's no ghost there at all, but worse, far, worse, far worse. What else, they said? Worse are these the things, Hold poor mortal man. I said I, that is, it's all his nakedness fear, will not have light nor sound, but bear with reason, and deafens and darkens and overwhelms. It followed me for the corridor, it fought against me in the room. I stopped abruptly, as an interval silenced my hands, went up to my bandages, the man in a shade sighed and spoke. That's it, said he. I knew that it was. That was it. A power of darkness had put such a curse upon a woman. It lurks there always. You can feel it when the daytime, even in a bright summer's day, hangs of the curtains, keeping beyond behind you, whatever, your face about.
At dusk, it creeps along the corridor and follows you, so that dare you dare not turn. The fear in that room, purred black fear, there we no longer, there be so long as his house of sin endures.